Nice to see everybody today. Good morning. My name is Bob Priest. It's my honor to fill in for Pastor Greg Montague today. If I've got my dates right, I believe we are at the midpoint of our Sunday sabbatical substitutes for Greg. So what's the old song they play at the Royals game? Whoa, we're halfway there. Bon Jovi. I'm sorry. Sorry. Hopefully you're not living on a prayer getting, getting through these weeks. Sorry, Jacqueline. I did that just for you. So uh, I, hope, I hope, like me, that you've grown listening to these different speakers along the way. It's been really interesting how... They just have messages from the Lord that touch us and guys we don't even know or or know very little about. I do hope you will be remembering in prayer Greg and Lori as they continue on their sabbatical, uh, as well as the staff and the leadership and all the volunteers around here that are keeping the wheels on the wagon as we go forward. So good to see all you guys. Those of you who know our family know that, that we have had a couple kids have a couple kids of their own here recently, uh, one in December and one in June. Is that right? Okay. And uh, one couple had their fourth, a little boy, to go with the girl, boy, and girl that they already had. And then our oldest and her husband had their first, a, a sweet little baby girl, and they're here today. Um, needless to say, we've earned our gray hair parenting. <laughs> so Sandra and I are very much delighting in being grandparents now. And appreciate that because babies are a big deal. The birth of a baby, the birth of a child is a really big deal. It's the closest thing to a miracle that most of us are going to experience in our lives. Each one is brand new and unique. According to our Christian worldview, each one is an eternal soul. Each one is an eternal soul wrapped up in a tiny little temporary body. The miracle of childbirth has been marveled at since the beginning of history. Our world has had all kinds of perspectives to offer us about children. The miracle of childbirth, or some have seen and still see childbirth as the way to perpetuate their ethnic group, Right? Some people see childbirth as the way to proliferate their religion or their culture. Have enough children, and you've got a pretty good workforce for the farm or the local coal mine. Cheap labor, right? We don't have to go back very far in our country to realize, oh, we need some child labor laws to kind of take care of our children and get this back in balance. And I think that's when Sunday school started, in fact, as I recall, that we were concerned about children as the church and began taking care of them in that way. Some have children as our retirement plan. I say to my kids, just take care of me when I'm old. Just take care of me when I'm old. I'll help you right now. We'll see if that turns out or not. That's my standard line with them anyway. I went back to the oldest parts of the Bible, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, to see what people then were saying about new babies found some fascinating little statements. Here are some quotes from a few famous moms from the ancient Bible world. First, from Sarah, the wife of Abraham. You guys probably know Abraham. He's the father of our faith. He's revered not just in Christianity, but in Judaism and Islam as well. And you may remember the story that Sarah was, the Bible word was barren. She was unable to have any children during her her normal childbearing years. 
she had a little boy at the age of 90. Now, they lived a little longer than we did, than we do now, but it, 90 was pretty old. She named the miraculous son of her old age Isaac, which means laughter. And this is what she said about that moment. God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. That's Sarah. Are you laughing, someone? I heard someone laughing out there right now. Leah, the wife of Jacob, who's Abraham's grandson. Leah named her firstborn son Reuben. I know that's making some of you hungry, but back then, back then it meant uh, the Lord has seen my misery. That's what the name Reuben meant. What did Leah say about that? It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Eve, the first woman, Adam's wife, we call her the mother of all the living, gave birth to her son, Seth. And Eve said this, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. This joy of receiving new life, this dramatic change that comes when we add a new human in our midst can sometimes cause us parents, can sometimes give rise to unwarranted expectations and assumptions as to why God sent that little one into our lives. And intentionally or unintentionally, we may saddle these little gifts from God with purposes that weren't necessarily in God's mind as he patiently knit them together in their mother's womb. For Sarah, Isaac was the fulfillment of decades of longing for a child, for social acceptance. The one thing she believed would fulfill her and make her happy. For Leah, it was her, her hope that Reuben would give new hope in her marriage. For Eve, in her ongoing grieving for her son Abel, Seth represented solace and and a partial restoration, perhaps, of what was ripped away from from her by her oldest son, Cain. Those are pretty big responsibilities to put on little babies. Maybe you've thought about children in some of those ways in your life or or throughout your family somehow. I thought of a few other ways sometimes we will think about the children in our lives. Some of us view a child as a means to accomplish our unfulfilled dreams, dreams of athletic prowess or academic achievement or popularity. Some of us see our little ones as a divine shove toward maturity. Guess it's time to finally grow up. And sometimes we see children as a test from God. If you are an old-time college football fan like I am, you may remember the Boz. Remember the Boz? His name's Brian Bosworth. You've got to go back a little ways. He was a linebacker for the Oklahoma Sooners college football team. He was a wild man on the field, but he was more wild just in his personal life and loved to get the media attention. The Boz was the third in the birth order in his family. He had a couple older sisters. What kind of got my attention about him was what his mother would say about him, tongue in cheek. She said, if Brian had been my first child, he would definitely have been my last. (laughs) Isn't that great? Apparently, he was quite a test to his family. 
So there's obviously all kinds of perspectives in the world from history and even from more current times about what children mean in our lives. Wonder what God thinks about children. I'd like to share a couple passages with you this morning uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. If you're interested in turning to the Bible on the shelf in front of you, we're going to be in Matthew 19 and then in Matthew 18. As we read uh, the words of Jesus Christ here, we'll see his teaching about children is really quite simple. It's not going to be hard to figure out, but it can be very challenging. And I'm hoping that whether you have children of your own or not, we'll pause all of us to evaluate the way we treat the children in our world and in a, particularly in our own circles, how we treat the little ones among us. Tell you what, before we start reading the Bible, why don't we pause, you guys bow with me if you would, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing as we read uh, his word here. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, wonder of childbirth, for bringing these little ones into our, our lives in such a, a miraculous way. We pray that you would help us to uh, love them, raise them, support them in the way that you see fit. God, give us wisdom as we read now these words of Jesus. Help us to see uh, what you might want to bring to our minds. Help us to be ready to change if there's something you want to do differently in our lives. We pray all this through the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, in Matthew 19, 13 through 15, we read these words from Jesus. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering them, for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them before he left. Jesus is warm. Jesus is inviting toward children. He expects everyone around him to be the same toward the children. He's not too important. He's not too busy to slow down and say hello. Jesus is not like some politicians we see that are just looking for the photo op. They just, they just want to see, be seen kissing the baby, right? But then they have a real agenda that they're pursuing. Jesus is not leveraging children for some earthly agenda. He's warm and he's inviting and he's happy to give children his blessing. These parents had seen something in him. They had seen that there was some power that was different in his life. There was something different about his connection to God, and they wanted their kids to be in his presence. I'm sure they were hoping that some of that would spill out onto their kids and maybe spill into their families altogether. How about you? How are you doing being welcoming and warm toward the children in your life and specifically helping them to connect with Jesus, to come into contact with the blessing of his kind of life? You know, we have some wonderful people here on staff. Kristen Perkey, our children's minister. Cody Shepard, our student pastor. A number of volunteers, not to do too much of a commercial, but a shameless plug for what they do. They've devoted themselves routinely to try to help our children get into contact with Jesus, to get that blessing of Jesus 
into their lives. How are you doing with that with the kiddos in your life? If you're getting them here, great. I can tell you, Jesus is pleased. Or if you have other avenues, but please try to put children in contact with Jesus and let him bless them in whatever way he can. What did children mean to Jesus? Well, I kind of want to paraphrase him slightly. What we might say from the words that we just read of Jesus is that he reminded, the children reminded him of home. Children reminded Jesus of home. Did you see what he said? The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. What was it about them that reminded Jesus of heaven? Was it their trusting nature? Was it their cuteness? Sandra and I and another couple here from Southwoods, we're helping out every now and then with a uh, uh, child care for a young parents in a home-based Bible group. They've got, what, Sandra, about 90, 99 kids, something like that. No, it feels like it sometimes. There's, there's quite a few kids. But uh, we try to keep them corralled in the lower level play area while the young parents, adults, try to have some Bible time and some just adult talk un- uninterrupted upstairs. And can I tell you, the basement is where all the fun is. We are having all the fun. It's a blast. And I hit it off with one of these little guys. We weren't sure how they were going to receive us, but the first week, we were friends. Can we see my little friend? A lot of you guys know him. We immediately connected. My name is Bob, so it's spelled the same frontwards and backwards. It's easy for me. Mom made it easy. His name is spelled frontwards and backwards. We were friends immediately. He has the name of a famous Bible king. The, the ancient king of Judah, and he's one of the good ones. His name is Asa, A-S-A. Asa's got one up on me there because I can't find any King Bobs in the Bible. <laughs> the only one I'm finding is in the Minion movies that my grandkids watch. So he's ahead of me there. Asa can really move. We were all over the place trying to keep up with Asa. His intent was, I am getting up those stairs to mom and dad. So we kept getting over to the stairs and would take me and get him occupied somewhere else. And then there he goes again. And it was kind of fun. And I'm thinking, well, Ace is going to get kind of mad here if we keep doing this. Probably cry. He might bite me. (laughs) So I'm on defense a little bit. Next time I meet him at the stairs, I'm looking down at him. He's looking up at me, thinking, here we go. And he breaks out. into this brilliant smile. This is not doing it justice. And my heart just melted. We're buddies now forever. We, we're, we're friends. And for just a second, I think I got to feel a little bit of what Jesus feels when he sees children. There, there's a smile like that. There's a, a soulishness that, that heaven is behind what's in Ace's eyes when he gives us a smile. And that's what Jesus sees in these little children. I think that's part of what he's talking about. Cuteness, innocence, joy. But Jesus gets a little more specific about what he means and how he values children in the second passage we're going to look at. Turn to that Matthew 18 passage. You'll notice this one has another, mm, another level of intensity from Jesus as well. This is Matthew 18, 1 through 6, and then there's kind of a tag-along verse, verse 10. Let me read this to us. About that time, 
the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, you got to know these guys. They're, they're just jockeying for position. They, they just want to see who gets to sit in the first chair. I want to be number one with Jesus. So that's what's behind their question. Look how he answers them. Jesus called a little ch child to, to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little, child, little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child, that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And then verse 10, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones for I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. What is it about little children that reminds our Lord of heaven? I think it's humility. It's that absence of pride, their innocence, their vulnerability. It's their ability to trust. You and I are welcoming and we're inviting toward children on Jesus' behalf. That's what he expects of us. But then you see the intensity part. He kind of takes it up another level, doesn't he? He shows how, how his love for little, one, for little ones is so important. Kind of puts him in mama bear mode a little bit. This is where the intensity comes in. It's not a dark side of Jesus. I don't want you to misunderstand. There is no darkness in Jesus as he communicates these words. It's his protective nature. It's his holy nature that is coming out. He gives a stern warning to, to alert all of us the seriousness of his care and concern for how we treat the children among us. Cause a little one to sin. And you've got big trouble, buddy. Hey, it would be better for you if you had concrete shoes and dropped you in the East River. That's, that's my Brooklyn accent, okay? This is pretty intense. We're also made aware by Jesus that it's not just us and it's not just him looking on. We're made aware that there are angels connected to children. And, and through them, God is paying close attention, close attention to the children's well-being. So we need to beware. That's an interesting word, isn't it? We need to beware if we are tempted to look down in some way on the little ones among us. You know, when you read statements like that from a guy like Jesus, and then you try to, try to match it up with the reality that we see in our world, in his time and in ours, it occurred to me that there might be some possible disconnects in some of our minds this morning. A couple, a couple objections that would be reasonably 
um, added to this conversation. First one is, hey, Jesus, weren't you a single guy? You, you never married. You never had children, did you? Why should we give weight to such an inexperienced opinion? And aside from the obvious fact that we know now of his divine nature and the fact that he was involved in the creation of all things, including all things family, just in terms of Jesus' human nature at this time, you know, he was part of a pretty big family. Let me remind you that while he never had biological children, he had a lot of brothers and sisters. After the Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus, then Mary and Joseph, in the customary way, filled out their family. They had quite a few children. In fact, we're told about at least four brothers that Jesus had. Their names were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Matthew 13, 56 has a little talk about his family, and it adds this. And aren't all his sisters with us? So am I doing the math? I'm coming up to, if there's only two sisters, it's at least seven children in this family and quite a few more. Anyone who's been in a large family knows the logistics. The older ones have to help a lot with the little ones. That's just practical, big family logistics. And Jesus, as the oldest brother, would have put a lot of time in with the little ones. Jesus knows children. Second objection, and maybe a little harder for us to process, is when we hear these protective intentions of Jesus, it's a fair question, I think, to ask, well, Jesus, that's tough talk, but what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong here? Why are bad things still happening to children? If, if, if they have the angels looking out for them, if God's intention toward them is so protective, why are they still being hurt? And maybe that question is even more personal for you and for me. Why, why did bad things happen to me when I was a child, if this is the case? And you know, there's few things in this world that make us as universally angry as children suffering, children dying, children experiencing the loss of their, in, their innocence or having it stolen from them. <clears throat> sometimes, sorry, sometimes these things happen at the hands of other people we know right where to place the blame. Sometimes these things just happen, and we don't know who to blame. And in those times, our weakness is so on display. Our weakness is so acute. We feel so powerless, and what comes out often is we become so angry. It's quite natural to direct that anger at the one who has the power to protect and doesn't. We become angry <clears throat> toward God who has the power, the power to prevent and he doesn't. Did you know 
that the root of most of my anger is that I want something and I just can't have it. That's what they tell us most of our anger boils down to. I want something and I just can't have it. I'm entitled to something and I can't have it. I believe I have the right to a baby like Sarah for decades. I believe I have the right to a happy marriage like Leah. I believe I have the right to life for my child like Eve. The truth is, you and I don't hold the power to fulfill those desires, to accomplish those things. We don't have the power, so we don't have the right that we may think we do. We don't have the right to any of the things that we're so angry about. Only God has the right to life, to determine who lives and who dies and when. Only God. Only God is sovereign over the circumstances of our lives. As much as we try to plan and take care of things ourselves, it's God who rules. So what does he ask us to do with our anger? His instructions here in this passage from Jesus is to become once again like a little child. Innocent, trusting, humble, and allow him to work. Trust him to work everything out in his time, through his wisdom, with his power, and yes, with his perfect justice, and if necessary, his perfect vengeance. Can we do that? Can we leave our anger to God? Will you, will you do that? Will you trust him? You know, I said at the beginning, just as we marvel at the miracle of childbirth, new life entering our temporary world, one day, the Bible tells us one day, we will all marvel at what God has done in giving birth, new life to an eternal world where the real life will begin for all of us. And can I tell you something? These little ones that are hurt and lost, we're gonna find out then that they were found. They were found and God had them in his close care the whole time. Let me kind of wrap up with these thoughts. Despite Jesus' warning and uh, all the precautions we take to try to protect the innocence of of children, the the sad truth is that for every one of us, we grow out of childhood. And our behaviors and decisions are our own, and we're accountable for them. Our behaviors and decisions against our Creator cause us to walk right out of his kingdom. They cause us to walk right out. At that point, the Bible says we no longer are God's children. It's our choice 
and we walked right out. When that happens, we don't go forward in our life in just some vacuum and just our own little world. We're actually aligning ourselves with the darker side of spiritual reality. We're no longer children of God. We behave like the children of the evil one, Jesus says in the Gospel of John. We're marked by stubbornness. We're marked by self-righteousness and rebellion and anger. We're separated from God at that point, and we have a really hard time even hearing his voice through the fog. I want you to look at a picture of a little girl with me. This is Karunia. I don't know if I'm saying her, her name correctly. She's 11 years old. They call her Nia. You may have seen her in the news recently. It was in a Compassion International story. Nia is an Indonesian girl with the rare condition, and I hope we, hopefully we'll say this right, Apert syndrome or Apert syndrome. She's been taunted, mocked, and bullied because of her distorted features and her missing fingers and toes. You can't really see that from this picture. Her body is disfigured because of disease, but her soul is radiant. I am beautiful like my mother, she says. When my friends mocked me because I do not have normal fingers, my mom taught me to say back to them that this is what Jesus gave me. Her temporary body is somewhat disfigured because of disease but her eternal soul is radiant. Folks, unless we become once again like little children, the reverse will be true of us. We may appear fine. We may appear beautiful. We may be pretty on the outside is what we used to say to our little girls, but our souls over time will become disfigured and marred by the disease of sin, the darkness inside of us and the humility and the purity and the love that God wants for us, that the Lord planned for us, it just becomes a distant memory. How can we break free of that and become little children again? Jesus made it real simple. It's gotta be born again. It's gotta be born again. It's a spiritual birth this time. It's a spiritual birth that God's Holy Spirit works in us when we let go of pride and we trust Jesus to make us new. He offers a clean slate, as they were talking about earlier during the communion time. He offers us a clean slate with forgiveness and freedom to become the ones we're created to be now and for all eternity. When we're born again, we're walking right back into God's kingdom. We are choosing to become his children again. And we find that life that the Lord Jesus was celebrating in the little ones that he was around. We have a practice here. We, we had it last week, and I think you may have seen this slide early October. We're going to do this again. But it's called baptism. It's literally a response 
a physical response to this desire we have in our heart to be born again. We're, we're, we, we're participating in this wonderful metaphor where we're going down under the water. Baptism just means immerse, put down into water. We're going down into the water, and when we come up out of the water, it's as if we're being born again. That old way of life, all the stuff that comes with it, it's washed away, and we're cleansed, and we have a brand new start with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, this morning, can feel the Lord kind of speaking to you, maybe tugging at you a little bit and saying, I think you need to be born again. Can I encourage you to act on that? Don't, don't just push it aside. Don't forget about it. It's his plan for every one of us. And if you feel that tug, would you act on that? Come, come share that with me or with someone that you trust nearby and be ready to take that step to find the new life that God has for you. It's Jesus' death on the cross that cleanses away all those sins. And it's his resurrection from the dead that lets us know we can trust him for new life, for our lives here and for eternity. If you're feeling like the Lord wants you to do something like that, act on that today. Let's stand and we'll have a closing prayer. Really appreciate you guys' attention today. If we can help you, I know it's kind of odd not having the normal pastor here, but if you would like some prayer or if we can help you in any other way, I'll hang around down front and feel free to come forward, okay? <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for the wisdom of your words, particularly about children. Help us to uh, continue in the ways we are doing this well and realign ourselves if we, if we have some holes in this area of our life. Help us to be um, gentle and warm and inviting to children, just as you would be, so that they are attracted to you and we can all enjoy eternity together. I pray for those of us that have hurt in our hearts, that have anger from the past, that you would just be close, that you would, that you would heal those wounds and help people to see that you, you have it, that you've got it, and we can trust you um, now and for the long term to work these things out with fairness and justice and love. Help us to, to continue to grow, to be just like you. Give us your Holy Spirit more and more. Help us to love our neighbors and love the people around us as we go out from this place. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks, y'all. <clears throat>